Chapter Six of O Money Money. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenever. O Money Money by Eleanor H. Porter. Poor Maggie. It was some days later that Mr. Smith asked Benny one afternoon to show him the way to Miss Maggie Duff's home. Sure, I will. Agreed, Benny with alacrity. You don't ever have to do any teasing to get me to go to Aunt Maggie's. You're fond of Aunt Maggie, then, I take it. Benny's eyes widened a little. Why, of course. Everybody's fond of Aunt Maggie. Why, I don't know anybody that don't like Aunt Maggie. I'm sure that speaks well for Aunt Maggie, smiled Mr. Smith. Yep. A feller can take some comfort at Aunt Maggie's, continued Benny, trudging along at Mr. Smith's side. She don't have anything just for show that you can't touch, like tis in my house, and there ain't anything but what you can use without getting snarled up in a mess of covers and tidies, like tis at Aunt Jane's. But Aunt Maggie don't save anything, Aunt Jane says, and she'll die some day in the poorhouse, being so extravagant. But I don't believe she will, do you, Mr. Smith? Well, really, Benny, I er hesitated the man. Well, I don't believe she will, repeated Benny. I hope she won't anyhow. Poor houses ain't very nice, are they? I I don't think I know very much about them, Benny. Well, I don't believe they are, from what Aunt Jane says. And if they ain't, I don't want Aunt Maggie to go. She hadn't ought to have anything but heaven after Grandpa Duff. Do you know Grandpa Duff? No, my boy. Mr. Smith was choking over a cough. He's sick. He's got a chronic grouch, Ma says. Do you know what that is? I, I have heard of them. What are they? Anything like chronic rheumatism? I know what chronic means. It means it keeps going without stopping. The rheumatism, I mean. Not the folks that's got it. They don't go at all sometimes. Old Dr. Cole don't, and that's what he's got. But when I asked Ma what a grouch was, she said a little boy should be seen and not heard. Ma always says that when she don't want to answer my questions. Do you? Have you got any little boys, Mr. Smith? No, Benny, I'm a poor old bachelor. Oh, are you poor, too? That's too bad. Well, that is, I, I. Ma was wondering yesterday what you lived on. Haven't you got any money, Mr. Smith? Oh, yes, Benny, I've got money enough to live on. Mr. Smith spoke promptly and with confidence this time. Oh, that's nice. You're glad, then, ain't you? Ma says we haven't got enough to live on, I mean. But Pa says we have, if we didn't try to live like everybody else lives what's got more. Mr. Smith bit his lip and looked down a little apprehensively at the small boy at his side. I'm, I'm not sure, Benny, but I shall have to say little boys should be seen and not... He stopped abruptly. Benny, with a stentorian shout, had run ahead to a gate before a small white cottage. On the cozy, vine-shaded porch sat a white-haired old man leaning forward on his cane. Hi there, Grandpa Duff. I brought somebody to see you. The gate was open now, and Benny was halfway up the short walk. It's Mr. Smith. Come in, Mr. Smith. Here's Grandpa right here. With a pleasant smile, Mr. Smith doffed his hat and came forward. Thank you, Benny. How do you do, Mr. Duff? The man on the porch looked up sharply from behind heavy brows. Huh, your name's Smith, is it? That's what they call me. 
The corners of Mr. Smith's mouth twitched a little. Huh, yes, I've heard of you. You flatter me, Mr. Smith, on the topmost step, hesitated. Is your uh, daughter in, Mr. Duff? He was still smiling cheerfully. Mr. Duff was not smiling. His somewhat unfriendly gaze was still bent upon the newcomer. Just what do you want of my daughter? Why, I, I, plainly nonplussed. The man paused uncertainly. Then, with a resumption of his jaunty cheerfulness, he smiled straight into the unfriendly eyes. I'm after some records, Mr. Duff, records of the Blaisdell family. I'm compiling a book on— Huh! I thought as much, interrupted Mr. Duff curtly, settling back in his chair. As I said, I've heard of you, but you needn't come here asking your silly questions. I shan't tell you a thing, anyway, if you do. It's none of your business who lived and died and what they did before you were born. If the Lord had wanted you to know, he'd have put you here then instead of now. Looking very much as if he had received a blow in the face, Mr. Smith fell back. Ah, oh, Grandpa, began Benny in grieved expostulation. But a cheery voice interrupted, and Mr. Smith turned to see Miss Maggie Duff emerging from the doorway. Oh, Mr. Smith, how do you do? she greeted him extending a cordial hand. Come up and sit down. For only the briefest of minutes he hesitated. Had she heard? Could she have heard and yet speak so unconcernedly? It seemed impossible. And yet he took the chair she offered, but with a furtive glance toward the old man, he had only a moment to wait. Sharply Mr. Duff turned to his daughter. This Mr. Smith tells me he has come to see those records. Now I'm— Oh, father, dear, you couldn't, interrupted his daughter with admonishing earnestness. You mustn't go and get all those down. Mr. Smith almost gasped aloud in his amazement, but Miss Maggie did not seem to notice him at all. Why, father, you couldn't. They're too heavy for you. There are the Bible and all those papers. They're too heavy, father. I couldn't let you. Besides— I shouldn't think you'd want to get them. If Mr. Smith, hearing this, almost gasped aloud in his amazement, he quite did so at what happened next. His mouth actually fell open as he saw the old man rise to his feet with stern dignity. That will do, Maggie. I'm not quite in my dotage yet. I guess I'm still able to fetch downstairs a book and a bundle of papers. With his thumping cane, a resolute emphasis to every other step, the old man hobbled into the house. "'There, Grandpa, that's the talk,' crowed Benny. "'But you said—er, uh, Benny, dear,' interposed Miss Maggie, in a haste so precipitate that it looked almost like alarm. "'Run into the pantry and see what you can find in the cookie jar.' The last of her sentence was addressed to Benny's flying heels as they disappeared through the doorway. Left together, Mr. Smith searched the woman's face for some hint, some sign, that this extraordinary shift-about was recognized and understood. But Miss Maggie, with a countenance serenely expressing only cheerful interest, was over by the little stand, rearranging the pile of books and newspapers on it. "'I think, after all,' she began thoughtfully, pausing in her work, "'that it will be better indoors.' It blows so out here that you'll be bothered in your copying, I am afraid. She was still standing at the table, chatting about the papers, however, when at the door a few minutes later appeared her father, in his arms a big Bible and a sizable pasteboard box. 
right there father please she said then to mr smith's dumbfounded amazement just set them down right here the old man frowned and cast disapproving eyes on his daughter and the table there isn't room i don't want them there he observed coldly i shall put them in here with the words he turned back into the house once again mr smith's bewildered eyes searched miss maggie's face and once again they found nothing but serene unconcern she was already at the door this way please she directed cheerily and still marveling he followed her into the house mr smith thought he had never seen so charming a living-room a comfortable chair invited him and he sat down he felt suddenly rested and at home and at peace with the world realizing that in some way the room had produced this effect he looked curiously about him trying to solve the secret of it reluctantly to himself he confessed that it was a very ordinary room the carpet was poor and was badly worn the chairs while comfortable looking were manifestly not expensive and had seen long service simple curtains were at the windows and a few fair prints were on the walls two or three vases of good lines but cheap materials held flowers and there was a plain but roomy set of shelves filled with books not immaculate leather-backed gilt-lettered sets but rows of dingy worn volumes whose very shabbiness was at once an invitation and a promise nowhere however could mr smith see protecting cover mat or tidy he decided then that this must be why he felt suddenly so rested and at peace with all mankind even as the conviction came to him however he was suddenly aware that everything was not after all peaceful and harmonious at the table mr duff and his daughter were arranging the bible and the papers miss maggie suggested piles in a certain order her father promptly objected and arranged them otherwise miss maggie placed the papers first for perusal her father said absurd and substituted the bible miss maggie started to draw up a chair to the table her father derisively asked her if she expected a man to sit in that and drew up a different one yet mr smith when he was finally invited to take a seat at the table found everything quite the most convenient and comfortable possible once more into miss maggie's face he sent a sharply inquiring glance and once more he encountered nothing but unruffled cheerfulness with a genuine interest in the records before him mr smith fell to work then the bible had been in the blaisdell family for generations and it was full of valuable names and dates he began at once to copy them mr duff on the other side of the table was arranging into piles the papers before him he complained about the draft and miss maggie shut the window he said then that he didn't mean he wanted to suffocate and she opened the one on the other side the clock had hardly struck three when he accused her of having forgotten his medicine yet when she brought it he refused to take it she had not brought the right kind of spoon he said and she knew perfectly well he never took it out of that narrow bowl kind he complained of the light and she lowered the curtain but he told her that he didn't mean he didn't want to see at all so she put it up halfway he said his coat was too warm and she brought another one he put it on grudgingly but he declared that it was as much too thin as the other was too thick 
Mr. Smith, in spite of his efforts to be politely deaf and blind, found himself unable to confine his attention to birth, death, and marriage notices. Once he almost uttered an explosive, Good heavens, how do you stand it? to his hostess. But he stopped himself just in time, and fiercely wrote with a very black mark that Submit Bladesdell was born in 1801. A little later he became aware that Mr. Duff's attention was frowningly turned across the table toward himself. "'If you'll spend your time over such silly stuff, why don't you use a bigger book?' demanded the old man at last. "'Because it wouldn't fit my pocket,' smiled Mr. Smith. "'Just what business of yours is it, anyhow, when these people lived and died?' "'None, perhaps,' still smiled Mr. Smith good-humouredly. "'Why don't you let them alone, then? What do you expect to find?' why i i mr smith was plainly nonplussed well i can tell you it's a silly business whatever you find if you find your grandfather's a bigger man than you are you'll be proud of it but you ought to be ashamed of it cause you aren't bigger yourself on the other hand if you find he isn't as big as you are you'll be ashamed of that when you ought to be proud of it cause you go on him one better but you won't i know you're kind i've seen you before can't you do any work, real work? He is doing work, real work now, father, interposed Miss Maggie quickly. He's having a woeful time, too, if you'd only help him now and show him those papers. A real terror came into Mr. Smith's eyes, but Mr. Duff was already on his feet. Well, I shan't, he observed tartly. I'm not a fool, if he is. I'm going out to the porch where I can get some air. There, work as long as you like, Mr. Smith. I knew you'd rather work by yourself, nodded Miss Maggie, moving the piles of paper nearer him. But good heavens, how do you stand? exploded Mr. Smith, before he realized that this time he had really said the words aloud. He blushed a painful red. Miss Maggie, too, colored. Then abruptly she laughed. <laughs> After all, it doesn't matter. Why shouldn't I be frank with you? You couldn't help seeing how things were, of course and I forgot for a moment that you were a stranger. Everybody in Hillerton understands. You see, Father is nervous, and not at all well. We have to humor him. But do you mean that you always have to tell him to do what you don't want in order to, well, that is... Mr. Smith, finding himself in very deep water, blushed again painfully. Miss Maggie met his dismayed gaze with cheerful candor. Tell him to do what I don't want in order to get him to do what I do want him to? Yes, oh, yes. But I don't mind. Really, I don't. I'm used to it now. And when you know how, what does it matter? After all, where is the difference? To most of the world we say, please do, when we want a thing, while to him we have to say, please don't. That's all. You see, it's really very simple when you know how. Simple? Great Scott, muttered Mr. Smith. He wanted to say more. But Miss Maggie, with a smiling nod, turned away, so he went back to his work. Benny, wandering in from the kitchen with both hands full of cookies, plumped himself down on the cushioned window seat and drew a sigh of content. Say, Aunt Maggie? Yes, dear. Can I come to live with you? Certainly not. The blithe voice and pleasant smile took all the sting from the prompt refusal. What would your father and mother do? Oh, they wouldn't mind. Benny, they wouldn't. Maybe Pa would a little, but Bess and Ma wouldn't, and I like it. 
Nonsense, Benny. Miss Maggie crossed to a little stand and picked up a small box. Here's a new picture puzzle. See if you can do it. Benny shifted his now depleted stock of cookies to one hand, dropped to his knees on the floor, and dumped the contents of the box upon the seat before him. They won't let me eat cookies any more at home, in the house, I mean. Too many crumbs. But you know you have to pick up your crumbs here, dear. Yep, but I don't mind. After I've had the fun of eating first. But they won't let me drop em to begin with there, nor take any of the boys into the house. Honest, Aunt Maggie, there ain't anything a fellow can do seems so if you live on the west side, he persisted soberly. Mr. Smith, copying dates at the table, was conscious of a slightly apprehensive glance in his direction from Miss Maggie's eyes as she murmured, But you're forgetting your puzzle, Benny. You've put only five pieces together. I can't do puzzles there either, Benny's voice was still mournful. All the more reason, then, why you should like to do them here. See, where does this dog's head go? Listlessly, Benny took the bit of pictured wood in his fingers and began to fit it into the pattern before him. I used to do em and leave em around, but Ma says I can't now. Callers might come and find em. And what would they say? On the west side. And that's the way tis with everything. Ma and Bess are always doing things or not doing em for those callers. And I don't see why they never come, not new ones. Yes, yes, dear, but they will when they get acquainted. You haven't found where the dog's head goes yet. Pa says he don't want to get acquainted. He'd rather have the old friends, what don't mind baked beans and shirt sleeves and doing your own work and what thinks more of your heart than they do of your pocketbook. But Ma wants a hard girl. And say we have to wash our hands every meal now, on the table, I mean, in those little glass wash dishes. Ma went down and bought some and she's using them every day so's to get used to em. She says everybody that is anybody has em nowadays. Bess thinks they're great, but I don't. I don't like em a mite. Oh, come, come, Benny. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter, does it, if you do have to use the little dishes? Come, you're not half doing the puzzle. I know it. Benny shifted his position and picked up a three-cornered bit of wood carrying the picture of a dog's paw. But I was just thinking, you see, things are so different on the west side. Why, even Pa, he's different. He isn't there hardly any now. He's got a new job. What? Miss Maggie turned from the puzzle with a start. Oh, just for evenings. It's keeping books for a man. It brings in quite a lot extra, Ma says. But she wouldn't let me have some new roller skates when mine broke. She's saving up for a chafing dish. What's a chafing dish, do you know? You eat out of it some way. I mean, it cooks things to eat, and Bess wants one. Gussie Pennock's got one. All our eatin's different, seems so, on the west side. Ma has dinners nights now instead of noons. She says the Pennocks do, and everybody does who is anybody, but I don't like it. Pa don't either, and half the time he can't get home in time for it anyhow on account of getting back to his new job, you know, and— Oh, I found where the dog's head goes, cried Miss Maggie. There was a hint of desperation in her voice. I shall have your puzzle all done for you myself, if you don't look out, Benny. I don't believe you can do it, anyhow. I can, too. You just see if I can't, retorted Benny, with sudden spirit, falling to work in earnest. I never saw a puzzle yet I couldn't do. Mr. Smith, bending assiduously over his work at the table, heard Miss Maggie's sigh of relief and echoed it from
from sympathy. End of chapter 6